2: Russell, thanking you once again for downloading another edition of Celtic Speed. Today's presenting sponsor is the leading organic meat brand in the country, American Farmers Network. AFN's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. With production standards that go beyond even USDA regulations, all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass fed. From poultry to pork, to of course beef, get the most nutritious and delicious meat at www.americanfarmersnetwork.com. Today is Sunday, August fourteenth, two 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLMS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. The 2016-17 NBA schedule has been released, and as we always do here on Celtics Beat, we dedicate an entire show to it, Another Atlantic Division Patsy to open up the season in Boston. 22 nationally televised games. Celts are back on Christmas Day in New York. Two West Coast road trips in the final third of the season. What do we make of it? Actually, guess what? We're done talking about it. I said on last week's episode with Chris Forsberg, I didn't know how we were going to do this going about these next two weeks. I still wanted to get to our off-season in-review spectacular. And because some of our esteemed guests' vacation schedules We must accommodate to them, which in turn would accommodate to our audience. So to sum it up, we are going to break down the schedule next week on episode number 171. And this week, it's Celtics beats 2016 summer recap with special guest, Austin Ainge, Boston Celtics director of player personnel coming up. On episode number 170 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and American Famous Network.com. We are doing our summer in review show right here on Celtics Beat Labor Day. Three weeks away, my goodness. So we're going to spend the entire show reviewing this summer. I got Austin, Austin Ainge, part of the Celtics three-headed front office monster alongside his father Danny. Mike Zarin, assistant general manager. Austin is actually waiting in the rings here. I'll talk to him about the entire offseason, starting right away with the immediate aftermath of the Atlanta loss, some weaknesses on last year's 2016 Celtics, what the team's plans were heading towards the end of April, and what they expected to do during this summer, how much of it that they felt they get done. And then I'm just going to run right through the offseason in chronological order. June's draft, July's free agency and trade period or non-trade period, I guess. Even towards the end of free agency there at the back end of the month when they wrap things up. But the now infamous July 4th weekend of some emotional highs on a Saturday night. And then Monday afternoon's gut punch. And that is going to take us all the way to where we are right now on this Sunday, mid-August morning where after all that has transpired over the last seven weeks or so, where where the Celts are in the landscape of the NBA at this very moment, let alone the future they may have. And I'm going to see if I can get a grade out of Austin. Let's see how honest he will be for the Celtics' performance in this summer. So the whole show, all in this offseason, all in these past two some months, Also, I'm sure Austin's going to provide plenty to break down. So therefore, Matt Keller of the lead sports, I'll chat with him immediately following Mr. Ainge's appearance to see what Matt has to say about what Ainge had to say or has to say. Excuse me. So we're going to get to this. Real quick announcement, though. The Blue Apron contest winner is going to be drawn next week. Enter by simply liking Celtic Speed on Facebook at facebook.com slash Celtics It is our way of giving back to the listeners who have been the driving force of the success of this show. So if you could help us out on social media, not only do you give yourself a chance at three free Blue Apron deliveries, $650 worth of food, you also help... Other people know about this show, which is going to help us to continue to grow and to get more guests like Austin Ainge and Wick Rosebeck, Mike Gorman, John and Brent Barry, Adrian Ward-Norowski, Rich Gotham, all the way down the line. Some very exciting shows we have planned coming up as well. Really good opportunities that we're going to be taking advantage of. So Some social media boosts. They're a major, major help. And Also, I say this every week. As the next contest we will probably do is going to be just this. Ratings and reviews on iTunes. They take 20 seconds, but your feedback is huge. It's a huge help to us. So please, if you haven't already, if you could subscribe, rate, and then write a review on iTunes for Celtics Beat. It doesn't sound like much, but it is. It's as important as anything. So please do. And also for your sake... I plan more giveaways in the coming weeks, and I will assuredly use that avenue again. So it is a win-win in that you can get a little early jump into the pool. And also, yes, it is a pivotal way to help this podcast grow and get guests like Mr. Austin Ainge, who can now pull off mute. And before we get into anything, Austin used to come on the CLNS radio airwaves many a times when he was coaching the main Red Claws back on the namesake of this station, the Celtics late night show. So Austin, like I said, man, welcome back into the network.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Great to be back.
2: This is Austin Ainge, Boston Celtics Director of Player Personnel, and this is our Boston Celtics offseason in review spectacular or special or regular show. But Austin, I have to, this is probably the question of all questions. A lot of your members of the organization have been fairly quiet recently in terms of members to the media. Is that a case? Is everyone sort of on their little getaways? And is this off-season now officially over on the countdown at campus pretty much on?
1: Uh no, never over. Um certainly things quiet down this time of year. Um, most of the front offices are on vacation, but uh we still talk every single day to each other and um you know, you can you can uh, have a quick 20-minute uh, conversation and then go to the beach or golf or sailing or whatever people do. <laughs> so, um it's never over. Our, our jobs really Go year-round, and, and we're always exploring, but uh, I, I do think that most teams are just going to kind of let their rosters uh, see how they work before deciding to make any moves.
2: I was hoping for the sake of this show we'd be able to put the capper on it, because I do want to go in a little chronological order here now that we're really into mid-August right now, and camp is about five weeks away. But uh, let's start with the off season and sort of dialing back the clock to the end of April, the beginning of the offseason, following get eliminated by Atlanta. Now, I know your team, your management brass, especially with the current state of the organization, looks at trying to make personnel moves both long and short-term to continue to get better every single day, right? I mean, it's far different than when you have a surefire title team. I kind of harken back to that story of following when the Celtics lost the title for the first time at the Guard in 1985. Jan Volk, Red Auerbach were meeting in the bowels of the Guard immediately following that game against the Lakers. Like, good God, how do we improve the bench? And, and you can even use a little more of a recent example for some of our younger listeners of the show. You know, the Game 7 title loss to the Lakers in 2010 when it was all about getting size down low that summer. But for you guys, it's a bit different than that. But what were the war room meetings like? I mean, as much and politically as you want to explain it, if there were any about attacking this offseason on, say, hypothetically, May 1st, 2016.
1: Yeah, you know, Larry, it's, it's really just about the options that you have. People always, you know, what's the plan? What's the plan? Really, our plan and, and any team's plan is to just um, explore the options that you have. You know, you have the draft, you have free agency, and you have trades. And, um, you know, when you have title contending teams – you usually are just trying to add at the end in free agency because your your roster's pretty well set. Now, uh, you know every team's in different situations. Uh, a couple years ago, I believe we had over 40 players on our roster, so we were really uh, heavy in the trade uh, uh, side of things, and, and now we have um, a pretty good core, and we have some draft things, so we'll still be active in trades. We, we were able to land Al Horford and Gerald Green in free agency, and um, you, you know we'll uh, we'll continue to draft with the assets we've acquired. So it's just it's just keeping our options open and making the best decisions we can. Um, we we were aggressive in trade talks. We were aggressive in free agency um, to varying degrees of success. But uh, you, you know those depend on price and depend on situation. So we're just trying to make the best decisions we can.
2: Spoken like a true team executive, I have to say. And while you know you may. Constantly look at the long term prospects of the organization, and it doesn't let, you, or you don't let game to game results affect yourself or any members of the organization the same way, the same way almost a diehard fan does. But is it, am I still thinking it's maybe possibly not as hard to imagine that there aren't any emotional attachments to the team? And when you watch that series against Atlanta, It was like, by God, we have to do something about shooting. Was there anything sort of like? Oh,
1: absolutely. No, we we all get caught up in the games, absolutely. And we we do try to divorce ourselves from those uh, emotions um, when we're making decisions and try to look at things a little more analytically. But, um, you know, Avery was out. Uh, Jay Crowder and Kelly Olenek were uh, shells of themselves physically. They, they were both banged up. And that hurt us. That hurt us. And, and Atlanta um, ha, had a very good defense. They were the best defense in the league the second half of the year. And those those things together added up to um, a, a lot of difficulty scoring for us. And, yes, that definitely was um, uh, in our thoughts and and strategies, but uh, Larry, as you probably have noticed um, by the free agent contracts being signed, the there there as the league has shifted smaller, um, there there's actually a lot of centers available. And very very few wings. Um, you, you can see some of the contracts the wing players have received that that shows um, the scarcity of the market and uh, and so wing shooting is is at a high premium and uh, we, we felt that um, um, drafting it and developing it is one way to attack it but but just there wasn't anything that fit. Um, you know, after Kevin Durant said no. <laughs> um, and, and later in the free agency process, when we were able to get uh, Gerald Green at uh, at a very good uh, price, and, and we think uh, he can add some shooting.
2: That's sort of the money ball approach. Remember if you look the Billy Bean, when I mean, I know you obviously you follow baseball very closely, but if you go back 15 years ago in baseball when there was such a premium all of a sudden over the course of three to four years at the, begin, at the turn of the century, on-base percentage was just everything, and on-base plus second percentage was everything. And as soon as that was the case, Billy Bean said, okay, now good defensive fielders are going far less undervalued. So I sort of made that comparison there. I have to get to this, though. Because we're we're talking about the offseason, I do have to get to this. Because Mike Sarin, your colleague, I like to call him the third head of the Celtics triumvirate, you, Mike, and, and Danny. But he signed up. Uh, he signed up on Twitter a month ago. And when you were talking about free agency, his first tweet was a shout out to you. And I guess an organizational mindset or battle plan that should be attributed to him And that was, and I'll quote: "Do free agency first, Unquote. Unquestionably, that's what the Celt- That's the mindset the Celtics applied to that this summer. But do you care to elaborate on that mindset to everyone listening? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just something that uh, I've been
1: pushing for and, and Mike has uh, been helping me with uh, around the league. I we just feel that uh most teams, um not just us, but most teams the, the free agency determines the direction of your off-season. So, um we feel that the the calendar should be flipped there. Uh so for instance, um this summer Uh, There were, you know, I can't remember how many teams, 20-something teams with maximum cap space. It was, you know, a crazy amount. Um, And many of them were... Had two. Yes, and many of them had two. But but many of those teams were sitting on that money at draft time, which is a huge trade opportunity because of the, you know, the the kind of liquid, tradable nature of draft picks. They're sitting on that for the 1% hope of a maximum free agent coming to them. Now if um if you know free agency were first, um if the draft were say five or ten days after free agency and we knew where some of the top names were going, the the trades would be much more easily uh arranged on draft night and uh the direction of your team would be easier to determine. Um, There's also some salary cap implications. But anyway that's that's kind of our assertion. and uh, we're, we're, we're most teams agree with us. And uh, so we'll see what happens down the road.
2: I'll be at the next collective bargaining agreement, uh, possibly, I believe, which is couldn't it's, be too- it's,
1: it's actually luckily it's not a collectively bargain oh, okay. issue. It's really just the calendar. Right. It's just it's uh, the NBA just kind of um, and, and we don't think that there's a great reason for having it except for just history. Um, so flipping it really doesn't affect the contracts of the players or the amount the owners have to pay or television contract. It really is just simply uh, logistics. So we, we think it could be changed pretty easily if, uh, if there's enough uh, collective will to get it done.
2: So how big was the sacrifice then at the draft in terms of how it impacted your draft, particularly after the Jalen Brown pick? And I feel there's no one better to discuss this with than you since you're as important as anyone in the organization when it comes to the draft. But with that mindset about free agency and the fact that free agency comes after the draft, how much did it really affect the latter half of the first, for the first round for you guys that you know, maybe the Celts didn't take the best player on the board because of the numbers game and maintaining flexibility as you've attributed to for the fourth week of July?
1: Yeah, it was really about uh, roster management for us, um, although we did very much like uh, the players we drafted and are excited about them, of course. But um, we did have to consider, you know, how many rookies can we add? Um, how many rookies should we, you know, burden our coaching staff with when we are trying to compete um, at a high level um, this year? And um, and we also, you know, we, we can't develop... You just can't develop six, seven rookies in one year. It's just impossible, and still win. So, um, we took some guys that uh, had the ability to to play overseas, and um, and we we were able to get talent plus uh, that roster versatility. So we're pretty excited about those guys.
2: So that means we're sort of moving along too in chronological order here, and we're on the draft. And I'll stick here with the draft. Sort of the, the mm-hmm. last and most important question about the draft. And I thought from a storyline perspective. I think the most interesting part of the offseason are the outside approval ratings for the Celtics organization. And the offseason you had, and of course I throw out approval ratings and the swings in presidential election years. But I I think we all universally look back on this offseason as a success now. But like last year, morale was low after the draft. Obviously this year following the draft, whatever it was, not making a trade, whatever. But I got to ask you this before we get off the draft because he primarily was the draft and he being Jalen Brown, do you care to share what went into that pick? Because I found it interesting because the Celts have always been so forward-thinking when it comes to hard data, and Brown last year was coming off a very unproductive season at Cal, particularly if you just look at it statistically with face value, as I do. Mm -hmm. I didn't stay up to watch those games at Cal. So what were the reasons as to why he warranted being selected third?
1: Yeah, well, hey, it was a tough decision. A lot of good players there. Uh, But Jalen's combination of work ethic, athleticism, ability you know and and positional versatility were very important to us um, you know the we've talked a little bit about the shifting positions in the NBA and um, and that kind of three four position uh, the ability to guard both and swing to those is such a hugely important position um, that uh, that bumped up Jalen's stock in our eyes a little bit especially with um, our roster. And um, and the fact that, uh, you know, he has some extremely special gifts. Um, those of you who watch Summer League, you know, he had a couple uh, okay games and a couple really good games, and, and you can see the flashes. Um, he's got a lot of tools, and, and uh, there's a lot of clay to mold there. So we're, we're excited about Jalen. Um, and his upside. Does
2: that have anything to do with the correlation when it comes to free agency when you just dis- when you discussed how possibly with the shift towards small ball in the NBA since the turn of the decade that players in free agency would then be overpriced, therefore instead of paying for those players in free agency, maybe put a higher premium on drafting them, i.e. Jalen Brown at 3?
1: I think it was just more of uh, we thought he was the best player available and the best player uh, to fit our roster. I mean, we, we have a lot of small guards. We we had a lot of bigs last year. He he fits very easily, and, and playing time is a huge factor um, in development. It's really hard for guys to get better when they don't play and don't have a path uh, to earn minutes, and, and uh, Jalen is extremely talented. Um, I, I think that uh, most scouts um, – would have rated Jalen extremely high um, before his freshman year. And he still averaged uh, 15 points and seven rebounds, I believe. He averaged at Cal. I mean, it's not like it was (laughs) that disappointing. And uh, anyway, we we felt like... um, uh, he, he had a, a solid freshman year, maybe not as high as some based on expectations. You know, I, I remember everyone uh, ripping on Andrew Wiggins for his, his freshman year when he averaged, I think, 17 and 8. You know, it's, it's just amazing the expectations these really highly rated high school kids have. And I think um, we, we try to block those out um, of our mind because uh, those are kind of narratives that, uh, that don't tell the whole story. Um, but I, I also wanted to touch Larry real quick on the approval ratings. Um, it, it is it is kind of funny. Um, yeah, when uh, poor Wick went out there and got booed um, uh, on draft night. Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's funny, and we we don't um, we don't get too hung up on that. We love the passion of our fans, um, and uh, and I think it is a function of us. Perhaps being um, too honest in the media.
2: You, know? you guys are very <laughs> honest and authentic. I've said it to Wick and Rich Gotham, and obviously Danny does a million interviews a week during the season. You guys are certainly the anti-Patriots. There's no question about it.
1: it it's uh, it's funny the you, you know people I see tweets and things saying oh Danny Ainge didn't isn't saying anything and we're sitting there in the office going I can't believe he's saying all of this you know <laughs> so um, I say it it's, too it's it's, it's
2: funny but I can't uh, you know, complain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. I mean, he he will say that yes, we're trying to get a star. Yes, we're trying to get a star. And then when we don't get a star via trade on draft night, fans are uh, predictably upset. And and hey, we're upset too. You know, we're trying to do, get these things done. Uh, we're trying to do things, but um, you, you know, hey, the but price matters. I think if our fans um, saw the prices on some of the trades they'd go yeah they made the right decision and 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 that's that's really what it comes down to it's not just hey go get a star you have to have you have to have a couple stars and you have to have enough players around them to to win so uh, so anyway that's that's kind of the story of the draft night um is is just you know price matters
2: i should jump ahead a month and we'll, so we'll skip the very fun july 4th weekend save that for the main event portion of this interview so <laughs> just go ahead a month let's now go to mid july Uh, There was a lot of talk on airwaves and the internet realms about the Boston Celtics, which is a good thing. Any publicity is good publicity. But this is probably the most obvious question I'm going to ask you. To confirm, nothing was really close, correct? Without even getting into specifics.
1: Um, I I mean, I'm trying to... You all, I'm trying to remember exactly what you're referring to, um, but uh, any uh, trades you said, for a very good oh, player trades, to
2: play for the Celtics next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Larry, it's it's one of those things that it's so hard for us to know, and I'm not trying to duck the question, but um, but but really, picture, that, you know, it's these trade discussions are not like. We're sitting there talking with teams for four hours. It is these are guys as we all know. These are our friends. We sit next to them every day in, in different gyms around the world, and and these are my buddies. And we we just we go, hey, you know, we're looking for this. We have this. Is this something that you guys would think about? And they always say. Ah, uh, probably not. But we'll get back to you if uh, if you if, you know if if we decide to do it. But if we did, it would take more, right? These are how the discussions go, and uh, and then they they either call back or they don't. So it's not always, you know, the, these eight million conversations back and forth. Sometimes we're just sitting back and waiting. Most of the time, we're just sitting back and waiting. So we don't know. If you know these teams are having discussions and seriously considering our offers, or they're not, it's it's hard to know.
2: Okay, let's go to July fourth weekend, even July third yeah. or second, I think I can't remember it being the exact second. I believe the date was July second was the date. Uh, July four was obviously the the other date, but July second, you were talking about free agency first? That mindset was of course vindicated with Al Horford and his decision. How confident was the organization in acquiring him prior to this offseason? Because it seemed like you guys laid a little bit of low with of a deadline when there was possibly an opportunity there last February. How do you think maybe even you or in your eyes, how your, the rest of your colleagues felt in terms of being able to sign him this summer?
1: Well, we, we had no idea um, on Al's uh, intentions, and, and we had no assurances and, and really no idea on how much he liked us. We are, are definitely our goal last trade deadline was to maintain double max cap space. So that was for sure um, a, a priority for us. We turned down some deals that um, would have made us uh, marginally better, but um, we were holding out for the home run. You know, and that's because the the home runs are what um, what help you win championships, and that's that's our goal with the boston celtics is is to put ourselves in championship contention so we entered the summer with the double max cap space obviously um plan a was uh was both horford and durant that would have been. You know uh, the home run we were looking for, and, and we got half of it done, and we're very excited about Al. He can uh, he can really provide a lot of stability for us in the front court. He's so versatile and and uh, has a lot of skills too um, b- that will complement all of the players
2: we have on our roster. So it's safe to say the Celtics did a double, and now they have runners in scoring position
1: yeah yeah we feel great. we feel great. Look, we still have max cap space next summer available. We still have uh, draft assets. we have players on very favorable contracts and and uh, a lot of young talent there's There's a lot to be excited about.
2: I was going to even use the phrase home run, too, because I, I love to I make a lot of historical comparisons with the team. And if we make comparisons to the last go-around about rebuilding the team, you see the organization back then was far more fluent in trades. They made a lot of deals to incrementally improve the team, whereas this time, outside of maybe the Isaiah trade back a couple of Februaries ago, there's a lot more stinginess because maybe I'm wrong to assume this the organization already feels that they have enough they have strong enough assets that they're locked and reserve only for as you said the homeland type moves for the transcendent talents
1: well we we have a lot of very good players and uh, larry so it's it's hard to improve Via trade on the guys we have. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you can't just go pick up guys better than Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jay Crowder. They're usually not available. Um, Guys who are better than those guys, which there are few, would be considered home runs, you know? So it's just, it's just, we're, we we feel good about the players we've been able to put around um, our, uh, our coaching staff, and, and they've, they've really improved and won a lot of games. I mean, we, we won 48 games last year. So getting, you know, players better than these guys is just difficult. just is.
2: Why do you think it's so much harder, much more difficult this time, go around to make deals than it was, say, 10 years ago when you saw so many players like Carmelo, Garnett, Gasol? I feel like there's a few others that I'm forgetting that were on the trade market and seemed far more obtainable than they are now.
1: Yeah, I think um, – I, I don't think it's changed that much except for this year and possibly next year. Um, these are unprecedented cap spikes, so finances don't really come into play. There's not really a financial strain on any teams because of these uh, this TV money and the cap spike. So, um, you know, in years past – Let's say teams had a player they really liked um, that was young, and they wanted to re-sign them. And they go, "Boy, I got to move this aging star, or I'm not going to be able to afford this younger star." And, and now everyone can afford everything in in this in these next two years because of the cap spike. So that that does um, change things a little bit, but I don't expect that change
2: to be permanent. So last week, or well, I was throwing around. The number one defense in the league for the Celtics next year. Do you have any personal goals that you'd like to see from the Celts in 2017, 2017? Excuse me. It can be something concrete. Let me. Jay Crowder was talking about the Eastern Conference Finals. It could be something abstract, you know, number one defense in the league. Are there anything that you would like to see personally, you, Austin Ainge, that you'd like to see from the Celts next year? Well, my, my
1: personal. Um Goals for the team are are less about specific wins or even rounds in the playoffs, but you know both of those are very important.
2: Please don't give me young players getting better.
1: Please no, don't no, go. I get. Um, I, I give. Um, I, I let the coaching staff determine those specific things. My role is trying to help us get closer to a championship, and um, and so and so closer to a championship is 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 very different, right? We do need some of our young players to play better. We need some of our veteran players to build upon the great years they had last year. I mean, Avery Bradley, what an amazing year he had. It was it was unfortunate to see him go down, but to, to receive the third um, most votes for defensive player of the year and the most for a guard with the way he shot the ball and, and helped us offensively is unbelievable. We need him to keep keep growing. We need Marcus Smart to take a big jump. So these these are the things that... That I look at, uh, Larry, I, I know it's, uh, you know, I could just say 55 wins and Eastern Conference Championship or whatever, but, but really those numbers don't matter as much to me as, as just all of these guys focusing on, on a progressive, uh, progressing in their career, because we really need them to take steps up.
2: But for fun, where do you think yeah. that the Celtics are in the landscape of the NBA next year? So just forget the future. <clears throat> what tier do you sort of have them in? In the NBA,
1: oh, I I don't know. I I feel like uh, most people have us predicted pretty, pretty right. I mean, in the Eastern Conference, we're all chasing Cleveland, and and there's good teams below, right there competing with us. I I mean, uh, obviously Toronto and Atlanta, and I mean there's, and us probably would be the next group, but uh, it's really early to tell. You know, health and how guys come in. You know, there's there's no guarantees that. Some of the guys that we have that had great years last year will will have great years again. They have to come in with the right mindset, so it it's important. But I, I will say, Larry, I I, uh, I would love us to be first in defense. That that is a great goal, but uh, it's going to be hard. With uh, I mean, San Antonio had historically unbelievable defense last year, and um, lost Tim Duncan
2: it, though. I know he's a little little older, but he has a lot to do with with that. I mean, just his presence. No
1: question. No question. And Golden State is uh, going to be up there as well. Um, And and so, anyway, those are – but I think we can compete on those lines, and and, um, and I, th- I think we made some steps forward offensively in the second half of last year. We started off really slow last year, and so I think um, offensively we can uh, make some big jumps up the rankings this year as well.
2: I talked about that last week with Chris. I thought that the Celtics were going to – we did a little summer forecast uh, for this season, and I thought that the Celts this year – I thought early on last year there were a lot of games that the team lost, a lot of home games like Atlanta in December – Uh, Dallas. There were just a few games where the Celts were just off a little bit. Now with this team gelling a little bit, they they should be able to grab a few more wins in that capacity because last year I thought Brad had to deal with Maybe some chemistry issues, some rotation issues, and I think that's gonna be a big beneficial this year, and that I think most of that is already set. But that, of course, I feel like I'm stealing Chris's thunder from last week's show, episode number one (laughs) sixty nine. Okay, this is the best way to get you out of here. You may hate this question, but I'm gonna ask this I'm gonna ask this of you anyways, because I love doing the grades. Give the Celtics a grade for the offseason. Um let's
1: see. I'd give us some I'm, I'm, I'm going between a B-plus and an A-minus. I thought we did well. Could have done better. Um, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll give us an A-minus um, because I'm, I'm friendly.
2: I'm friendly so, greater. So very happy you answered it because I, I did not want exec speak. We love that here. But Austin Ainge, Boston Celtics Director of Player Personnel. On behalf of the audience, Austin, I'd like to thank you for all of that time.
3: Oh, of course. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. Today's featured interview with Austin Ainge was powered by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. And to me, a former chef myself, that is probably the most rewarding part of Blue Apron. I know with my family, we cook together when Blue Apron arrives. The recipes are simple to follow, they're fun, and they take 30 minutes or less. This month's Blue Apron features spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salsa, summer vegetable and quinoa bowl with fairy tale eggplant, shishito peppers, and corn, and chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa. I've had the experience of of cooking with a lot of food in my career, but receiving your produce in such a fresh state and portioned so perfectly is what truly impresses me about Blue Apron. As the founder of CLNS Radio, I'm asking you to support the network and support this podcast Celtics Beat by choosing Blue Apron and there's very little risk involved. CLNS Radio, Celtics Beat and Blue Apron are giving you 3 free meals and free shipping on your first order. And it's really simple. All you need to do is go to www.blueapron.com slash Celtics Hi, this is Brent Berry, and you're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Brought to you by American Farmers Network. To receive all the big benefits of small family farms and to eat healthy, log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com.
2: You know, I didn't get into the Durant stuff. I, I heard enough about the Hamptons. I've heard enough about Tom Brady. It didn't happen. Like, Chris Mannix did a podcast with Brad Stevens that dropped earlier in the week. And, show, and it was great, great show, but so much of it was, it was just that. You know, the inside story for July 4th weekend at the Hamptons. Now, listen, enough. It, it just didn't happen. I don't know. Maybe because I feel like a complete hole after they signed Horford that next day at my golf course. I was passing out business cards to myself in the show. I'm telling everyone the Celts are getting Durant. Then it's a week later, and I see the same people are like, oh, uh, whatever happened to that uh, Durant thing? And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, about that. But in all reality, I mean, enough. He's now thousands of miles away from here. I thought it was a testament that the Celtics got as close as they did, a finalist between his incumbent team and the 73-win team he ultimately bandwagoned on. But Matt, and we are here with Matt Keller of The Lead Sports, www.theleadsports.com. And, Matt, we just finished listening to Austin there we reviewed the whole offseason, as this is our offseason review show here on Celtics Beat. And I like the grade he gave the organization for the summer. B plus, A minus, not quite the A, despite the massive leap forward the team took. Fair and impartial assessment f- for a self grader, would you say?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think he was fair, and I think he was refreshingly honest, much like his dad you know, you kind of hinted at that when he gave his grades. Most people are self-deprecating in these circumstances. They're going to give themselves a B, a B-minus, et cetera. He was pretty honest, and I think he went back to before the Durant thing, to your point. Uh, we went down this road with Durant and got really excited. But if you take a step back and say we're a playoff team that got unlucky with injuries in the playoffs, then you add a versatile all-star who plays at both ends in Horford and— They feel like they got a steal in Brown. I would say B to B-plus, maybe a B, because I wasn't as excited with the Brown pick, but they obviously Mm -hmm. feel like it has big big upside. So for... I think in their eyes, Brown brings it to a B-plus, A-minus. I'm just not quite as excited about Brown. I would go with a B.
2: We'll we'll get to him. I actually think the slight deduction off the A on face value, can say it came from not acquiring Durant to make it a perfect offseason, which would have been probably an A-plus. But they did lose Evan Turner, some punch off the bench, and they really haven't replaced it with a known commodity. And also, as I alluded to with Austin, they never really added some outside shooting. But as he said, that really wasn't there. It's not as obtainable, although this team just so desperately needs it. But also the draft, which for the second year in a row, not just this past year, it was a bit of a clunker, and I know you are very advanced on that topic, so I'm going to save that for a little bit later. But briefly, Matt, there were no trades, never really close on any trades, despite all the hoopla around the draft, as well as for a few weeks there in mid-July. And not just for a game-changer, but as Austin said, going back to even last deadline, not making any moves for players that would make the team marginally better or a little bit better. What do you think of that strategy, and as, as he said, just holding out now for home runs and rolling what this team has in the meantime?
0: Uh, I mean, on one hand, I like the idea that they have they have a hand in so many pots. You know, they can go the veteran route if they put together assets for a trade, or they can wait and take their picks, or they can kind of go half and half. But I worry about one, whether teams will even do anything with Ainge and Sun anymore because they feel like they're getting ripped off. Uh, yeah, taken advantage of and ripped off. And on the other hand, from our perspective, I worry whether the Celtics are willing to do any deal where they f- don't feel like they're ripping the other team off. So it's like, I think they might have unrealistically high standards about the return they're going to get. We always hear from Wick at the top and then Danny and Austin that the things they get offered are nothing. You know, If we knew about them, we wouldn't be very impressed. And as Austin uh, alluded to, they're in the dark sometimes. It's not always a fluid back and forth. It's them making an offer and then waiting. And they're kind of in operational darkness. They don't know what the other teams are doing. They might know just as much as us or just a little bit more. So I, I wonder if they're expectations are unrealistic. Not every trade has to be a home run, kind of going back to all the trades they made to get, things set up to do the Garnett deal like right. you were referring it's, to. It,
2: it's a lot different than what it was, say, 10 years ago when they were they were making moves at a far more fluid pace, and that's how Danny got the moniker of Trader Danny, and he was being insulted for that back in the day because they were making so many moves of, hey, how come you don't let your team develop a little bit? You're just always, you're constantly breaking up the team every few months or so. Now, I mean, they made a lot of moves in 2015, but it seems they have a lot of things settled with, and... I think I actually like that strategy because you just sort of roll what this team has. There's going to be a 50 to 55 win team next year. And if you make a move, even if you do make the team a little bit better, you still risk screwing up the chemistry on the team. And I think the chemistry on this team is one of the predominant factors as to why they're going to be as good as they will be next year. And I would say as good as they were last year. I mean, they were right down. They were at the doorstep of a 50 win team. So like. Now, I, I know this isn't realistic, but I'm just using this as a hypothetical example, right? Let's say they could make a trade for Carmelo Anthony. I'm actually not sure that's worth it. Even if it is a fair package on one end, you were offering a, a few draft picks, likely a rotation player on the team. Think about that. If you add Carmelo Anthony, a 30-some-year-old player, he we would like to think he'd make the team a little bit better, but he wouldn't make the team good enough to beat Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals. He certainly wouldn't make the team good enough to win the NBA Finals against Golden State. So therefore, I mean, I, I like the strategy. You roll what you got. It's going to be a very enjoyable, entertaining team, so you really can't complain as a fan when they're going to win 55-some games. And then you just sort of... Sit on the sidelines and wait for the moon and the stars to align to wait for that home run.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is if Carmelo Anthony is not going to be the centerpiece or a of the
2: championship, those ilk was, was what I, mean. I just used him as a throwaway example because he's he's discussed quite frequently in in internet, internet realms.
0: Yeah, and I think he's more realistic of someone you're going to get is an imperfect player on the wrong side of thirty. Or you hear someone like Jaleel Okafor, who I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. I think the game has basically gone. He's gone from the bell of the ball to the game passing him by in about two years, which is unfortunate for him. But I wouldn't want him on my team. I just don't think he can play defense in the NBA. And the guys who are more perfect, whether it's a Jimmy Butler or Blake Griffin, they seem to be unrealistic or impossible to get. I hear from Blake I hear out out here in Los Angeles that Blake Griffin is going nowhere. Uh, He doesn't want to go back to Oklahoma City. He doesn't want to go back to the East Coast. He likes Doc Rivers. He loves L.A. He pretty much wants to stay here under any circumstances. Uh, So you're going to only get that imperfect player. So I I do totally agree with you and Austin Ainge and Danny and the whole brain trust that you sit and wait for the perfect thing to happen and if us as fans are getting impatient in the process that's just something (laughs) we're going to have to deal with. They're in in the position to do that. If
2: this was a 30-some win team there would be a lot more catcalls for something to get done and I think there would be a lot more movement on Danny Ainge's part to get something done because he doesn't have to worry about breaking up a good thing. The Celtics have a good thing going so there really isn't any purpose to break it up unless it's just a complete obvious slam dunk, no-brainer I make this move or another move along. These lines and I'll be a championship contender. There's really no sense of tweaking something when as of when things are going right now too well right now. There's just no sense tweaking thing. I also think it's it's a little twofold as well. Part of it is also the environment. I did ask Austin about it. I mean, and he said that all the money these teams have, they can afford their players really wasn't the case 10 years ago when you saw so many guys. I mean, I, I mentioned Gasol, Kevin Garnett. Shaquille O'Neal the Phoenix Suns trade with Sean Marion there were others along there I mean Jermaine O'Neal when he was a little bit of a name but I mean now more and more executives understand that superior players help them win games in this league they have a lot more money to spend so it's easier for smaller market teams to hold on to these players it's sort of like what Sacramento is doing with DeMarcus Cousins and really exhausting every means so it's just much tougher to get these players. But also, I mean, you discussed earlier, you talked about the draft. I talked about I, mean, I was not thrilled with a draft like yourself. And the draft has not been too kind to the Celtics recently. And they really could use a surplus of better young players to trade off without worrying if it is going to hinder the team competing now, which they want to do. And at the same time, offer an attractive enough package to entice a team along with some draft choices. And before I sort of throw it back to you, I actually think it's a story in itself that the Celts have this great young core, when in reality, since the Avery Bradley pick in 2010, so you're going back to the beginning of the decade, they've struggled a bit with first-round selections. They've had multiple firsts every single year, and the only contributors they have on this roster are both lottery picks, which is Smart and Olenek.
0: Yeah, and they took Olinick right ahead of, um, you know, I won't try to pronounce his name, but the Greek Freak. I, I think most people would probably take Julius Randle over Marcus Smart. It depends on your view of the NBA. I think the Celtics would probably stick with Smart because they, they love his they are contributors,
2: defense. though. I mean, you can't – at the end of the day, they are contributors, and you can't really say that from any of their other picks. And that True. is sort of what, one of the reasons why they may have not been able to get some trades done. Sort of like Kevin Love in 2014, they didn't really have enough known commodities to offer another team.
0: Yeah, it's hard because they have these good players who I think they value more than the rest of the league. Uh, With Bradley and Crowder and their contracts, their value is going up around the the rest of the league and has gone up. But I, I still think they valued them higher. And it was interesting what he was saying about forward guarding threes and four, that versatility that uh, Brown brings and Crowder brings. And I think they value that in that money ball perspective, almost like that's their on-base percentage, defensive versatility. It works with smart and ones and twos and threes and even some guarding Millsap in the playoffs. I think they value that so much more than other teams that sometimes it's hard to line up a trade. for They don't see... The team improving in these trades, the way their potential trade partner might. It's kind. It's hard to build. It's hard to improve when you're good. And Austin alluded to that in the interview. It's it's hard to make incremental improvement when you're already a fifty-one team and you just signed an all-star.
2: What about the strategy the team took in the draft? And we were talking about his honesty, and Austin was talking about how Danny's so honest. I would say Austin was authentic as any. We know this was the strategy they did utilize, but he admitted point blank that uh you know Danny and Austin, they admitted the draft was really about roster management more than taking best player bless player available, excuse me, after the Jalen Brown pick in the first round.
0: I mean I think it sounded to me like the rest of the draft was totally that. They didn't want to add any rookies for the coaches to deal with who weren't going to be contributors. But I got the impression that they thought Brown was the best for their roster, the best fit, the best positional fit, and the highest upside, which in their mind made it kind of a no-brainer. Personally, I, I thought Brown was too much of a crapshoot, and I would have liked them. I would have liked to see them just go after shooting, take a guy like Murray, take a guy like Heald. Um, you know, maybe trade down a little bit if they could, or just take a guy like Bender, who can shoot from a seven-one frame, and just move on and say we added shooting. Maybe we didn't hit the highest upside guy. But we know we added something concrete—a skill that's rare in the NBA. I think shooting is rarer than wing being,
2: defense.
0: Yeah, being Personal
2: wing defense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and even if wing defense is more, that was is supposed rarer. to be Jeff Green. <laughs>
2: no <in laughs> yeah. way. His yeah. Jalen comments were very interesting. I mean, it's. I mean, listen. I'm as lukewarm as Jalen Brown on anybody, and I really didn't really want to challenge him on it because there's just really just no sense, right? I mean, he's the director of player personnel. And, I mean, I'm as skittish about him as anyone. I'm not going to go back and say who they should have picked. I mean, because it, it's sort of like the Durant thing. It's like, listen, that didn't happen. I just I'm analyzing sort of what we have on our hands here, and I thought what he said. I mean, and what the organization has been saying about uh, Jalen Brown. I mean, the, obviously he said. You know, they put a premium on a value of just being a tweener 3-4. That just bumped up his stock alone. It had nothing to do with his actual basketball abilities. It was just the fact of the position that he played. And, you know, while he said that, hey, we took the best player, I thought so much of his reasoning were factors such as what I just said or factors who was on the roster. Remember, he talked specifically about how they wanted a player who they'd be able to get playing time on the team right away. He specifically mentioned not a young point guard. Ahem, ahem, Chris Dunn. Then, I think when he said about roster management, he was talking about the value, the uh, very high value now of tweener three fours or small ball power forwards in free agency. So he looked at it possibly as you know maybe it just added through the draft. But I mean, you know that doesn't that wasn't enough to win me over on him. I just, so I guess now it's just going to be the case of you know I'm just we have to see the games. It, it wasn't enough to win me
0: over, but I feel better about the Brown pick now between the draft and when I heard that interview. And then after listening to Austin Ainge, I do feel better about him. Apparently, he you know, really shot the ball well in the workout with them in front of Brad Stevens and their brain trust. And he has these really interesting splits where he shoots the hell out of the ball from the left side of the floor and couldn't get anything going on percentage-wise from the right side of the floor.
2: This was last year at
0: Cal? Yeah, it's okay. really, uh, I did not know that. Know, it's kind of like a 45% to a, um, true shooting percentage from the left side of the floor to almost like a 15% true shooting percentage from the right side of the floor. It was really remarkably unbalanced, almost like you never see in a prospect. So to me, that says something along the lines of, they think they can get him shooting well from the right side of the floor. It's just a, uh you know, a tick with his shooting or something that's easily correctable. I thought the coaching staff at Cal was terrible. Uh, I didn't watch too many games, but the ones that I saw, he looked lost in the offense. On the other hand, he has terrible shot selection. His shot's not that great. Lots of turnovers, not a great passer, uh, not good on-court awareness and i don't know how doesn't do anything improves.
2: exceptionally well anytime you ask something hey what do you think like, you know give us your scouting report on jaylen brown they start out with something positive you hear right off the bat oh he's got a great body and he's got a good work ethic i mean that's sort of something i want to hear like you know nine or ten things down I, w- I would like to know what he does exceptionally well on the basketball court and you really say, don't get- hear that right off the got out of the gate and if you I look think, at, of course, the numbers, they're not there either. Now you can go ahead and talk, Matt.
0: No, no, absolutely. Uh, the numbers aren't there. I mean, his I would say oh, his overall statistical profile is more worrisome than encouraging. The one thing he can do, obviously, is be defensively versatile between the three and the four and probably even twos to an extent because of his athleticism. But he can get to the fat line, and I think that after watching Isaiah Thomas this year, it can't be uh, – I don't think they underrate how important that is, and they see him as someone who can play defense and get to the foul line right away in the NBA. And almost if he improves his shooting or his shot selection or both, uh, there's the upside. Like the case for this thing working out is he evens out his shooting on the right side of the floor, improves his shot selection, and Ainge works with him to store – I mean – Stevens works with him to soar with his strengths, as they always say. Uh, and he starts off as an average player because of his defensive versatility, and he goes up from there. The downside we just discussed. I mean, I don't know if you can teach someone a sense of the game at this point when they're 19 years old. Like you said, work ethic's great. Apparently he's a smart kid with a high IQ, you know, whatever. So's my brother. It doesn't mean he's a good uh, fit for the Celtics.
2: I'm a little petrified that in future years, we're going to hear exec X for the Celtics, how he wanted so-and-so with a number three pick, had him at number one on the draft board, begged you know everybody else on the team to take it, but couldn't win him over. Just sort of like how at the Sloan Sports Conference this past year, we heard Mike Zarin having Draymond Green number three. It's like, I don't think that's what I really wanted to hear right now when you heard he had Draymond Green as three on the big board when he had two first-round selections that year and didn't utilize one on him. But the Jalen pick, I mean, This is big. I mean, you constantly hear about the Celtics. They they want to make a trade. They want to make a trade for a star. Austin says it. Danny says it in all of his interviews. Wick, every single time they say. I mean, they all sort of speak. Everyone in the organization speaks the exact same language. But it is going to take hitting these Jalen Brown picks at number three to work out. And also, I mean, listen. Why? I mean, you really don't have to. I want to say you can hold out for a big trade. You can always have that options there. But it is sort of the Warriors thing, right, of building through the draft to to build their own super team before the Kevin Durant signing, obviously. And hey, to steal the words of Kurt Schilling, why not us? And the benefit that the Celtics have, as opposed to what the Warriors had back in 10, 11, and 12 before they started rolling in 2013... And even in 2013, 2014, they were, I mean, like, you know, decent. It was a decent Western Commerce team. But the benefit that they have or over, over not just the Warriors, but any other team trying to build through the draft is, yes, they're going to have all these high picks, but they're going to be able to bring these players into a really good environment.
0: For sure. And I think going back to Austin's point about defensive versatility, bring them into a good environment and the players they drafted and signed in free agency, I think the second biggest thing after Curry and Clay and the shooting of the team was their ability to switch between twos and threes and fours on the perimeter with Clay, Draymond, Harrison Barnes, Livingston, et cetera. Um, I just wonder if we've already, if that strategy hasn't already passed us by a little bit going back to your previous point about the recent drafts. I mean, Olinick, you're right. He's a contributor, but you take him in, in front of the Greek freak. Uh, other I don't worry about picks. that. If
2: you, if, you have, if you pick players that work out in the NBA, I'm not too worried about, Of oh, you should have taken this guy. Oh, you should have taken that guy. It's when you okay. select players that completely washed out, like the Fab Mello types, and there are, of course, many others, Jawan Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. But continue your point before I you know, interrupted you, which is what I'm very good at doing.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. So, okay, fine. Then throw take Olinick to the side and say he worked out to your point but the Jawan Johnson and Fab Mello, et cetera, et cetera. Like, if you miss on too many of these picks, then the Warrior strategy becomes harder and harder because the ones that you actually hit on, you have to hit home runs. Uh, I, I, I don't think his drafting percentage is high enough to replicate a Warrior strategy solely through the draft. Now watch Jalen Brown become a star and prove me wrong and they can get a guy next year, et cetera. But I just, I just worry about if he's a good enough drafter to do what Golden State did. Simple as that.
2: They can do this through the draft. I think that's what people are sort of dismissing here is they could build a championship team through the draft. I mean, we constantly hear about salary space and all the draft picks and, or all the possibilities they have of making a trade for a star and how they're going to be right there. They can just as easily, if not probably, I don't want to say easily. That's too much of a frequent, but comparing it towards building a team through trades, they could just as easily do it through the draft. And I mean, at the same time, I mean, I think we should still hammer the point home that the Celtics are going to have a really good team next year regardless. So you don't have to – there is a part of it it's like, you know what? Geez, stop talking about the future. Just know that in, in your mind it's going to be there as a fan. They're going to be great. I don't want to say they're definitely going to be great one day. But they're never in complete purgatory or hell. And at the same time, they have this very good team. Actually, this is a little fun question. i it sort of wrap this thing up. Just give me a percentage. On the Celtics winning a championship in 2017. Real quickly. Four. Okay. All right. that's, I think that's very high. But I was going to go with something like .5. And you know what? .5 is better than 20 teams in the NBA. So it's funny. You Austin was talking about how I read Twitter? It's like, dude, stop reading the trolls on Twitter and, and letting, sort of letting that agitate you. There was, I mean, it's just uh, this Celtics team. I have a lot of friends or a lot of people listen to the show are Lakers fans. And you'll you'll look back on this very fondly if and when they're able to build a championship team. It's almost sort of like how Lakers fans look at those 95, 96, Nick Van Axel, Cedric Sabalas uh, teams. So they're just really a part of this. Just enjoy what they have. We'll be able to analyze this on a week-to-week basis, of course. I'll also follow you, Matt Keller. But uh, running out of time here, that's why I'm cutting this very short, Matt Keller. Uh, first off. Just a reminder, everybody, next week we are announcing our winner on Facebook. Those who like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat, you are entered into a contest to win three free weeks of Blue Apron food. So, of course, enter now by liking our Celtics Beat Facebook page. Click like, and you are in. Also, BlueApron.com slash Celticspeed to get three free meals. Want to give some shout-outs on programming here on CLNS Radio. Obviously, Celtics stuff live tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on CLNSRadio.com. That's tomorrow. Plenty of content released this week. This past Wednesday, Real GM Radio host Danny LaRue conducted an Atlantic Division preview with Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post and Jared Weiss of, geez, I mean, we're, we're, that's right, CLNS Radio. So plenty of Celtics talk there. Also, Coach Nick's widely revered be- B-ball breakdown. His podcast is here, Bobcast with Celtics blogs. Bobby Manning release every Friday, I believe. And lastly, for our Patriots fans out there, so that's not all of you listening, but a, a decent portion of you, I'd like to think. CLNS Radio's New England Patriots post-game show, like the Celtics post-game show, except the Celtics are not playing right now. Patriots post-game show goes live after every single Pat's game, including preseason. Which New England just had their preseason opener this past Thursday against the Saints? That is available in the archives. And subscribe to the CLNS Radio Patriots postgame show on iTunes and Stitcher to not miss any upcoming episodes. Speaking of the NFL, Matt, I've had you here. Before we go off on our way, you're the COO of the Lead Sports. You guys produced Nate Robinson's video of wanting to play pro football. Tell us a bit more of your site and where we can find you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Our main thing is a morning newsletter. Give us two, three minutes. uh, Funny, irreverent, fearless. We'll start your morning off on a good foot. It's a replacement for the sports page to your inbox instead of your mailbox. Just go to theleadsports.com and sign up right at the top.
2: The final word for episode number 170, Mr. Matt Keller. A lot of credit to go around, though, so let's go. Music for this show was provided by Will Rock and Steph Legretto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter, I am at CLNS underscore LHR. The show is at Celtics underscore beat. Like Celtics Beat on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. One more thanks to today's guest, Austin Ainge, Boston Celtics Director of Player Personnel, and Matt Keller of the Lead Sports. Major thanks to the audience for listening in yet again and making this show the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast on iTunes. For our sponsors, Blue Apron and American Farmers Network staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphic designer Taylor Arter, the founder of the network Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host. I am Larry H. Russell. We will get around to that 2017 NBA schedule, I promise. So see everyone back here next Sunday for another edition of Solid Street, powered by CLNS Radio.